Hello and welcome to the Wolf Den Podcast, your home for competitive Digimon TCG discussion and news. I'm your host, Nako, joined by my co-host, Zenitsu. This week, we'll be discussing the results of the Play TCG NishiFest Regional and what EX3 will bring to the meta. Listen to us on your favorite podcasting networks. We are available on many platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. Link in the description below or find us at Wolf Den Digimon TCG. On top of that, uh, I also stream this live over on twitch.tv slash Zenitsu, and it also goes up in video form on the Zenitsu YouTube channel. For our viewer question of the week, this week's question is, why have no promo cards been banned or restricted? And does that mean Bandai will never restrict or ban a promo card? Well, they did ban some promos, but not for America. Um, they banned, I think, in Japan, um, the Garurumon promos, like the, the first little suite of promos that we got as box toppers in BT, or not BT, uh, Special Booster 1.0. Um, and that was just because it was poorly distributed in Japan and it's not widespread there. Kind of how, like, technically... Uh, and I'm using the word technically very loosely, the uh, Survive promos are like soft banned for us just because not a lot of players have them. It wasn't widely available. They just haven't made any announcement for them. So I would definitely ask your tournament organizer if those cards are legal. Um, from what I've been asking around, uh, none of them are technically, um, but I would double check. So I'm not sure if you're if these are the same things or if, I, if this is something else i just know that um there was a fairly large announcement pretty recently where it was for areas that follow the japanese format so they're up to date with the most recent cards as of japan's format um but they are still they are outside of the the specific like, country of japan so outside of mainland japan um basically every promo card is banned um it was it was a large suite of them I, I say every promo like the actual distributed as promos separately so not the mem boosts um but the stuff that we obtained via dash packs or box toppers or the like all of those got banned in ja in the like japanese region not outside of mainland japan basically for the reason that zanitsu just mentioned um because their access and distribution are just so minimal, and most of them don't have any competitive impact, but the ones that do, as you mentioned with the wear promos, um, obviously have had a decent competitive impact. But it's mostly just a playability thing. If if somebody shows up with, like, you know, promo Grand Kuwagamon, and you just, oh, you're, you paid an exorbitant amount to have a promo Grand Kuwagamon, shipped from mainland japan to singapore or the philippines or something like that then you have an inherent advantage so i i, I would should have the list in front of me but i know they banned like, like quote unquote all of them like it was a large amount it was like 10 plus promos yeah and um promo distribution has always kind of been a problem like in the Dragon Ball community and some of the other communities that have done um, 
Bandai related TCGs. They call it the promo problem for a reason because Bandai loves making promos but has a really bad distribution method for said promos in a lot of their games. Doesn't even matter if it's like the only way it's not like hard is if you are mainland Japan for any of these promos to be of access because of just how Japan distributes them. They're in magazines, they're um, in supplementary products, they're handouts. Like it's it's a smaller, nicher community and a more closer community. So it just makes it easier to get the stuff. Like going back to the survive promos, they said that we eventually would get these in uh, a more widespread uh, format. We have yet to get them in a widespread format, though so they're that's why I said they're like soft band as of right now. Um, I don't. I think that's like the only one uh, outside of the fact that we have zero idea where the security rookies are, uh, and I know a lot of people want those cards and need those cards for certain decks to be better. Um, but that just goes to show, like, hey, Bandai kind of does have a promo problem. Yeah. So, um, I think the 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 further context to the question was that um, has uh have they ever banned promos in other card games like because no promos have have been banned in North America or like the the, the quote unquote shared ban list like the true ban list of cards that are banned for their playability and value that they bring to the card game not their access because like so like the all force promos are part of it the v tamer tie uh, the original wares, honestly, probably the most relevant ones. I guess obviously the Garurus are very relevant for where, like the Milga X deck, but uh, both the uh, promo Agumon that gives 2,000 DP inheritable to Greymons is banned, and the Greymon that swings for two checks if it has an Agumon underneath is banned. So, um, but those are it's basically all the old promos that were released right around the start of the card game that outside of the the four I just mentioned have no competitive inherent value. Uh I could oh yeah, Bandai isn't afraid to ban promos especially if they are too competitively viable. Um I'm speaking again from a Dragon Ball Super perspective cuz that's right now their only other big card game until One Piece comes out. Um but they have banned promos in the Dragon Ball Super card game. So they are not afraid to ban promos. Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to find an actual list. Um, okay, oh, I found it. So it's not yeah, as large. As, world. It's not as large. It so it's it's stuff. basically um, it, it is all the old promos and one new promo. So it's the all of the old force promos, old force zero, and then the V Tamer, uh, the promo Garuru, promo where promo agu promo greymon and then the gamamon promo the p58 um which is i think that's that's one of the more recent ones gamamon yeah the promo gamamon uh, uh p58, p58 is, is yeah the, that's our pre-release one yeah that's the uh your turn while you have a red tamer this can attack your opponent's unsuspended digimon so like I said, outside of the the, the four, uh, the two Gururus and then the Agu, and the Greymon, it doesn't matter. That I mean, I 
I have heard people discuss that there's some value in we haven't seen the BT11 Ulforce deck with these promos because it's banned. So it may actually be a competitive deck for our BT11, but that's, you know, to be seen. Well, I mean, that's why we also don't see a lot of uh, the uh, Garurumon success in um, everywhere else is because, again, they don't have access to literally the key promos to make that deck as functional as it humanly possibly can. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think the Gamamon is, like, holding that back was making Gamamon any more no, or I, less I successful. It's all. a casual deck. Uh, and then the other card on here is Espimon, which is another promo. Uh, that card's pretty fire, but again, hasn't it. really seen any competitive impact. Mm. So, okay. Um, yeah, that's that. Um, on to the Nishi Fest results. So, Nishi Fest, uh, it is a in per well, is slash was an in person um, regional uh, held in Texas, I believe. Uh, seven rounds, about 201 players, so pretty sizable event still for an in-person event. And the top 16 breakdown is as follows. Uh, first place is Beelstar. Second place is Grandis. Third place, Metal Gururumon X. Uh, fourth place, Crosshearts. Fifth place, Grandis. Sixth place, Metal Gururumon X. Seventh place, Crosshearts. Eighth place, Magna uh magnamon slash armor rush um eighth ninth and tenth and eleventh place is all grandis uh 13th and 14th is cross hearts 15th is another grandis and 16th is or not yeah 16th is alphamon so as far as the total breakdown there was seven grandises four cross hearts two metal guru x's one beal star one alpha one armor rush slash magna x uh, which is a pretty interesting spread. Um, the fact that Beelstar one actually isn't a surprise, considering there was just a lot of Grandises, uh, where if they just hit hard, there's a high chance that they could just hit a security threat, and then their game is just done, because the deck doesn't really have any built-in protections against anything. And the Beelstar deck, taking a quick look at it, was splashing in some blue for the bounce options for more removal types. Um and then as far as the only other big new inclusion in the deck, uh, it was running the Sistermon that basically is just a hard play uh, draw to discard one. So it's just a good card at filtering and replacing itself. Hmm. Um, but yeah, um, it did pretty well. Um, and I'm happy to see that it is still somewhat competitively viable, at least it was in that environment. Now that we're transitioning to EX3, I don't know how good it's going to actually stay. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's not a, a lot too much to be uh, gained from this data because it's irrelevant as far as the EX3 meta is concerned, and doubly so because it's pre-restriction. So the Crosshearts there, obviously running more than... Um, their one copy of Cross 4, the BL Star probably even running two copies of, um, uh, Jesus, Underworld Call? No, that's not it. Uh, it was running three. I was gonna say, like, it was running three especially copies of Calling of the Darkness. Yeah, Call from, yeah. Um, because that that's deck how you retrieve your just, BL Star easier. 
the deck just doesn't care about having things on board besides slamming BL stars, so uh, they could afford to run many copies of Calling From more so than your traditional purple deck would be able to run. So um, that's also something. Um, yeah, uh, at least it, it was the last competitive event for BT10, the last like uh, recognized competitive event from BT10, and now we're moving into the hybridized format of BT10 slash EX3, which we will remain uh, potentially through until Nationals, assuming that um, Nationals is either EX3 or BT11. We aren't 100% sure yet. Uh, yeah, considering delays are still a thing, and if there's literally any hiccup in delay, that puts it literally on launch week, which I think would be a very bad idea for a big level of, of like a big level mm -hmm. event like that to just be like oh we got delayed by a week even two weeks now you're sitting at EX two weeks format. yeah two weeks and you've, you're actually out of the running completely yeah um, so it's a very it's a very risky time for them mm -hmm. to slot it um but they have to do at what least they have to do i the only thing that i could at least see is that they will give the players enough forewarning I will and they either announce a delay or announce that it will be BT11, basically at such time when they would have announced a delay, maybe a month out, you know. Yeah. And then I just, think they just would solidif know just solidify it. I mean, hopefully they would know because you know whether the cards are going to arrive in America or not. But um, so um, EX3 brings with it um, not too too many changes in the form of the actual top meta um obviously i think the, the restrictions have significantly more to do with the shakeups than the actual ex3 uh introduction will um because this is when alphamon gets hit which yeah, alpha obviously alphamon still being one of the better decks into bt10 and according to japanese data still one of the better decks into bt11 as or not bt11 mm -hmm. ex3 as well um definitely now it's taken down a peg and then cross hearts uh was this feared boogeyman it has yet to um show the results in america but now it's not going to have that opportunity which is a good thing slash a bad thing uh yeah we kind of discussed this last week but just to touch up on it um uh, people want to play with their cards but at the same time now we have a somewhat healthier unsolved format that leaves things more interesting and open so I think it's going to end up being more fun because of that, even though the initial impression is, oh, this is too early, um, and it does feel kind of bad. Uh, so there's a good and bad with it. Mm. Yeah, I I definitely don't um, put on a face for these these episodes. These I kind of want these to be as candid as they can be, um, given what minimal production value that we decide to put into it. But um, so last week's episode was you know our ability to at least my ability to get out my um, greater negative implications of the fact that they restricted cards two weeks after their release. But now we've moved into the actual um, excitement of the new format of we are um, against once again, but way more so I think this time, because last time we just ended up with basically the Japanese format with extra steps. Um, our win cons weren't the same, but it was still blue hybrid versus yellow hybrid, even if they weren't just ending the game with MDF Susano. Um, whereas now, 
cross arts is no longer the the end all be all of this format and it, it it may come back but the fact that we're not sure what the best deck of bt11 um could potentially be is a place that we've never really been in before so um i am definitely excited to see what this restriction does to shake up our meta and if they didn't want people because maybe they realized that ex3 for us was going to be a little longer um as far as you know the, the greater bt10 meta and they just said we don't want to lose the amount of players that we would potentially lose if everyone is playing cross hearts from you know the end of october until the beginning or end of february um uh, you know assuming that there's no other banned restriction announcement in you know january as there was last year yeah because the one thing the internet is really good at it's complaining <laughs> uh, we're so, no exception to this um but uh nope. they probably just wanted to save themselves that headache and have all of the negativity uh be up front and then get washed away with literally the excitement that is soon to follow which is what we're in mm -hmm. so as far as um what i'm kind of seeing as far as like good decks that are going to be remaining good um into ex3 uh i think obviously grandis and metal grew are two of the better decks from bt9 those are probably going to stick around mm -hmm. i think uh we're going to see less gaiomon just because gaiomon isn't going to be the crossheart sniper and blue flares really isn't playing that many tamers usually just wants well, to have one that, uh kiriha yeah. and one sora and joe i would say that that would make that would that would rise gaiomon value not lower it only because fewer tamers but more impactful tamers so if you only have two tamers out and you have to you know split your sources of save between them so that i can't get rid of all of them with a single because you know kiriha is obviously a four cost tamer so i can only kill one tamer with my black war Greymon, and i i still can get rid of sources that you otherwise would be saving with save um but I, I also just think that the matchup, um, the idea of just stripping and stunning uh, Gaiamon is, is very real. On top of just the other matchups that it could be going up against. So I definitely think that like it already was kind of okay against a lot of the BT9 decks, um, as per BT9 data shows us. Uh, but against some of the BT10 decks, it just seems like it's having a lot harder of a time being able to control the board versus other swarm-based decks. So I think, like, Jespawn is a very fantastic deck into it, just because it's like, okay, you can snipe my sister mons, but my main Jespawn is going to be way harder to kill. I have way better options. You could D-Digivolve, but, like, Jespawn has this ginormous toolbox of, like, abilities that it plays with its sister mons. And I think, like, it just doesn't have the ability to handle everything. I think, um, I think, I mean, right, right now, Obviously, BT11 is a very right. different story, but right now, I think we're just seeing that, like, not drastic level of, because, I mean, this is an EX set, um, it doesn't introduce a whole, you know, new echelon of the power curve, um, and BT10 has introduced some new stuff, uh, it has already been curtailed as far as the more egregious examples, but just comparing... Black War, Greymon, and Gaiomon's nature of mechanics to the EX3 environment, 
it's not as devastating as it, it, it feels like it could or should be because, you know, e even something I remember experiencing within the BT9 format itself of Black where Greymon suffers from the fact that it is kind of, even with the red base, slightly less so, but a reactive, defensive-oriented deck. So I get into my big Black War Greymon, and I kill a Tamer, rah, and I pass my turn, and I leave a blocker. And then now, you know, you either just do something, or you go around it, or you get rid of it, and then I swing for two checks, and then I pass, and I reboot, like... Like, it, it doesn't have that explosive end the game, you're completely blown out of the water aspect to it that, honestly, even... It's it's almost like a wa more watered-down control variant of like something like Examon. In this environment, at least. Yeah, and I definitely think like that's to the deck's own strengths and weaknesses for those matchups. I think it was a lot better of a deck to think about taking with Crosshearts being as prominent as it was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of decks, uh, going back to the Justmon example, a lot of decks actually aren't running that many Tamers. And if they are, half the time you play it just to get its initial value. You don't yeah. really rely on its memory generation. You have memory boosts in various other ways for the deck to generate its memory. There are fewer um, cool boys like, running around. Uh, right. Um and even if there are, it's like you snipe it, and it's like, okay, like, Garurumon can still outrace it, and if it does, then you still just die. Mm -hmm. um, although, if, uh, like, the classic control deck, if you do end up stabilizing, you actually have a very hard Digimon for Garurumon to deal with, but mm -hmm. obviously, Garurumon ideally doesn't want to get there. Uh, which yeah. is why I think Garurumon is still one of the better decks, is because it it's simple, it's easy, um, it's already well-known and well-established what a more optimized list is, and it still can do well against a wide variety of matchups, even the new ones. Mm -hmm. And it just has that unprecedented level of efficiency and speed that it is still um, kind of just the capstone of, of the power level right now as far as a Wergarurumon that sees its pieces. You know, Alphamon... Is, is now gone. I remember we did that theoretical matchup. If if Metal X and Alpha see every single piece they want to see, who in a perfect game wins? And it was Alphamon, barely. But with Alphamon gone, it's just decidedly where Garurumon. If you just see your pieces, you win the game. And that's kind of... And, and you don't hit any security bombs. But um, that's significantly less likely uh, in this format, minus Crosshearts, because... That was one of the decks that would run a significant amount of security threats that you'd have to worry about. Yeah, and that's probably akin to why Grandis is like actually pretty decent still, is because it's basically doing the same thing. Just mm -hmm. build its deck, move out of raising, swing big, hope nothing goes wrong. If nothing goes wrong, you win the game. If something goes wrong, then you're gonna have to struggle bus a little bit. Yeah, it's um it has a I, I wanna say higher high, but it's only a higher high because you only have to, or your your actual swing itself, your your when you're swinging, uh, to you know win the game or blow your whole sec your opponent's security out. It's significantly safer than the likelihood of hitting a security threat on a where's repeated swings, 
and even though they have their instances of protection, um, I just think that if both of them see their lines, Grandis has a slight edge in the safety factor, but Ware basically does the same thing a turn earlier. Yep, and that's kind of like the core and crux of those two decks and why they are continuously being top decks, mm -hmm. even in as short as a format as uh, BT10 was. Um, but as far as decks from BT10, um, I think Minerva Loop is definitely a big, uh, I don't want to say loser. Um, just it's a big not loser. Not as viable. I could, yeah, not, yeah, it is a big not loser. Not as viable. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean that's that's what that is, though, right? Like, it, it's still a deck that in the right hands could be piloted. I mean, I can already tell you, I've I've almost pretty much abandoned the the concept of it as far as it was relying upon a very specific meta read slash meta call of I am very good into cross arts and nothing else and the cross arts are gone. So what am I doing here? Yeah, because any deck that can spawn two Digimon and sit on it easily just because you don't have that much removal and your removal isn't like absolutely insane, um, it does it is going to struggle, especially against decks like Examon, where you literally just for free, once you go into your Examon, spawn that second body, and now the whole core strategy is basically falling apart flat on its face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Bloom Lord creates, you know, minions for free. They kind of just shits Digimon left and right. Um, Blue Flare has a number of Digimon out at any given time. Um, it, most matchups can provide multiple bodies. Again, Cross Arts being the one that primarily didn't end the turn with a Digimon on the field necessarily, or at least... Um, two Digimon in the field because they would you know raise and swing and then play some play a tamer that played a Digimon and you would usually just end up something you know they die they go under a tamer I pass my turn and it was easier enough to to get around for something like Minerva Loop yeah so I think we're definitely going to be seeing a lot less Minerva Loop I think, um, I want to say Ofani is still pretty good. Uh, the core strategy is just very solid, but, like, uh, I think, like, also, same with Nastamon. They're fine decks. I, I think they're kind of fitting that, like, niche that Minerva Loop was uh, trying to fill. Um, not necessarily to be, like, a hardcore counter deck to the top deck in the format, but, like, just that purple deck that just wants to have lots of good recurring value. Uh, I think those two decks do it very well. Obviously, security control is probably not going to go anywhere, even though we all kind of want it to. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, mean, there wasn't any new options to really shake or spice the deck up. Security, but like... security control, at least while it, it does get new options every once in a while, it does gain new things, I know. Um, the most recent version is basically a Mastamon deck without the Mastamon, and it's just a mega zoo option suite that contains a couple of like the the taxing purple tamers and um but they, they just they are introducing more and more ways to just subtly carve away 
the hold that security control has on its inevitability as far as if you want to play security control there's always a decently viable alternative tier 1.5 at the lowest option for you to throw together and play and maintain that play style but between um like the new omnimon x antibody from bt10 allowing you to just see your opponent's just knowledge of your opponent's security huge obviously they're, they're going to recover a bunch um the fact that multiple cards now just disallow you from checking security um Examon trashes security just different methods of interacting with security outside of punching through it uh just kind of brute forcing it is really like weathering away i think those people that are like all but the most stalwart of security control players that are just absolutely positive that's how they want to play the game because they are encountering more matchups that they are used to being uh in the driver's seat for um where it was oh my opponent is playing uh psh, something that just... something that is easily killable like like something like a jespawn was great for them because okay you can go wide ulti flare kills your whole board and your big stack or you know chaos degrade your level seven i'm gonna minus six your digimon and play a magna angemon and recover one and those plays are just less valuable in the grand scope of the game and like security control has been out long enough to where it, and it's something that we have continuously pointed out and it's you know it's true until it isn't but uh it continuously it does not win large events it you will top large events that's fine you can get to top 16 top 32 with security control you won't win it because by the time you get to the absolute pinnacle of the player base that has achieved you know table one on round nine you lose they just know how to beat you yeah, security control to me definitely feels more of a The deck gets easier check. to beat the better you are. Yeah, it feels more of a skill check rather than like an actual skillful matchup itself. It's a um, mental check a lot... too. I mean, yeah. not that I'm, you know, God's gift to Digimon, but I know the the, la the last few times that I've actually lost to security control was because I got bored, not because I, you know there was a judge error or oh man i didn't expect you to recover one when i swung security because of course you were going to recover one when i swung security but um it was uh just you know an instance where i got bored fine i'm slam reaper swing oh yep chaos degrade you win i already counted three chaos degrades but there's a fourth chaos degrade in there so i guess i lose yeah, the last time I faced security control was against literally one of the best security control players in the game, in my perspective, KVN. And uh, we ended up in a draw, and I was in the winning position, but again, due to stall tactics and timing, um, it just ended in a draw. But I was positioned to win that as Metal Guru, and that's one of Metal Guru's one, like, harder matchups, but that just goes to show, with good, intelligent, skillful play, security control isn't that bad and that was minus against. a red package too, right? 
Yeah, that was indeed minus a red package. Yeah, the whole reason you'd run a red package in the first place. But... Uh, yeah, but there's also just a lot of decks that do better into security control that they have less control about. So, like, Dark Nightmon is still going to be a thing. I don't know how powerful it's going to be in the grand scheme of things now, but... Um, it's at least something it's they have to deck... be aware of. Right, like, that deck is basically just build an undying Digimon in an undying field, and they don't have enough control to be able to remove everything Dark Knight is trying to do. Blue Flares is another pretty bad matchup, just because, again, taking a page from Cross Hearts, they just shove their Digimon underneath, and then just replay their Digimon anyway. Um, so, like, there's just a lot of other matchups that keep security control in check, but it is still a good deck to wants to try to uh, take to event if you're just looking to top and not necessarily win. Mm -hmm. Um, so as far as the actual like big winners of EX3, um, the largest ones would probably be the actual new archetypes from EX3, uh, previously non-existent decks that are now decks. Um, most notably being Examon. I know we talked about it a bunch already. Um, with reference to um, it being a competitive deck, uh, I know uh, I've kind of made it a point to not necessarily explain things to people that, you know, I, I imagine a lot of our viewers understand what cards are and what they do and what decks do, but I've kind of at least decided that probably for the first episode for each format, you know, Z2 and I can just go over it as far as if you aren't aware you are now aware, so assuming you're watching in somewhat of a chronological order, at least by the most recent format, when we talk about Examon, you know what it does and why. Why we say it's good or why it's bad at something. Um, so Examon is probably the only addition to the... Um, a, a, yeah, brand new addition to the Tier 1, 1.5 block. Most likely, I guess, 1.5. But... Something that'll probably be expected to be seen, you know, at the top end of an event in the EX3 format, uh, just because it does have a lot of traditional control elements. And my favorite thing, control elements that we haven't really seen in the Jujimon card game yet, but may become more of a thing in the future, uh, such as the, the big scary thing for uh, apparently Japanese card fans is inter-turn interaction. Ooh, my turn ends, and I can still do something. <laughs> I think, like, Examon is case example number two on what they're trying to do to introduce inter-turn interaction. Uh, case example number one, obviously, being Bagra Army. I don't think that deck is, like, that bad in the future. Uh, right now, it is kind of still just that bad. Right, yeah, right now, it's non-existent. B BT10 um, EX3 doesn't exist. Poo-poo garbage But, deck. like, the... Yeah, but the core idea was to figure out a way to be able to have some inter-turn interaction. And I think Examon, um, basically goading the opponent, and if you're unfamiliar, goad is a magic term to force the opponents yeah, to attack. I was going to say, yeah. um, term, we will be using uh, that exclusively because it, it is a one-word you know situation that explains exactly what the mechanic in Digimon is. It's just It is a forced attack by your opponent. Yep, and the fact that you can do that at the start of the opponent's turn is, uh, before they literally can do anything outside of, like, raise, uh, is just a really powerful thing because it forces the opponents to be able, like, to 
limit what they want to do or what they can do based on that ability being around and on the field. You don't just want to willy-nilly raise out and think you can kill, uh, because the second you raise out, they could just be like, okay, uh, your Digimon is now going to attack and it's going to die. Congratulations. So uh, You there, goofed yourself. There's a couple nuances to this. So, um, you know, this this entire process is, is somewhat complicated, and but I think it's good complicated because it's it's a little confusing initially, but once you understand the exact uh, process behind it, then it's not that difficult to deal with because there aren't too many super in-depth rulings in the Digimon card game. It's just, you know, you know a half step higher maybe than your average card effect because it is introducing, okay, well, I'm doing something on your turn, so... You know, what's the order of operations here? So, uh, it all stems from uh, the premier control element of the deck being the level 6 blue Digimon, Slayer Dramon, who has an inheritable ability that is also his static ability. So, whether he is underneath an Examon or his own separate Digimon, it doesn't matter. Which reads, start of opponent's main phase, as we mentioned, on your opponent's turn, start of opponent's main phase. So, so this, you know... The only thing they get is untap, draw, and then they choose whether or not to raise. And then, you know, once, basically, so now, something that I know a lot of card game players do is they respond verbally or otherwise to opponent's actions because we are used to card games where you have the ability to, at any point, interrupt said actions. So now, like, you just tell me whether you're raising or not. Like, I choose not to raise. Okay, well then, you you know, you're... Your priority has passed. I choose to activate start of opponent's main as your opponent. I may suspend one of my Digimon with Dramon or Examon. And then, by doing so, my opponent must attack with one of their Digimon. So, um, interesting relevant portions here. Uh, I can choose any Dramon or Examon. Slayer Dramon unsuspends himself. Examon unsuspends himself and suspends an opponent's Digimon. Um, but if your opponent only has one Digimon, they choose which Digimon attacks before Examon taps that Digimon. So, they can technically attack with a suspended Digimon, it's weird. Um, but you don't get to pick a specific Digimon. You just pick, I, I am introducing one instance of Goad, you must make an attack with one Digimon. So if you have a level random, you know, memory blocking rookie and you just raised a level five, you may attack with the rookie. That is a choice um, that you are allowed to make, and that's fine. But again, therein lies the secondary Examon's ability of... Uh, so, I mean, assuming the Examon stack has blocker, which both should. the green level five and green level four... Uh, Ground Jermon and Core Jermon both have Blocker as their Inheritable, so plenty of Blocker Inheritable going around. It should have Blocker. And you force an attack. Examon taps to block. Unsuspends himself because of his ability. Suspends an opponent's Digimon because of his ability. So then now you've raised your level 5, and then I tap it, basically. Is, you know, assuming you don't attack with the level 5 or in some of these OTK... Uh, one stack decks, and it's something that these decks just genuinely have to fear from Examon is you have to Digivolve in raising into your level 6, or I'm forcing you to raise and swing with your level 5 before Digivolving. 
And this is like really powerful against a lot of matchups. Like even Grandest uh, suffers from this because usually Grandest raises their level five, or even if they just play it safe and they raise um, their level six, um, the promo Grand Kawagamon, that still is going to die to Examon, and you can't use its Digiburst ability during uh, the under the effects of the Goad type of uh, yeah. effect introduced mm -hmm. by Examon and Slayer Dramon. You still get your when attacking effects. All of your so basically, the way Digimon uh, aura effects work is is that um, all of your effects go off first. Um, you know, assuming you have priority. So this is obviously a single instance where you do not have priority on your turn. But um, I guess the exception being you raise a you have a Jessmon. You raise the Jessmon. You digivolve into Jessmon in raising. You raise, I goad, you swing with Jessmon. You get your you know, whole suite of inheritables playing a Sistermon, which lets you digivolve. And then you may digivolve because it's, you know, all of these are when attacking triggers. All of that's fine and dandy. Uh, but again, the real control of the deck comes from a lot of decks want to raise then digivolve, then swing. I'm forcing... I, I, I skip a step. I, I, I kind of interject. You raise and you attack. That's the that's the only line of play allowed under like the thumb of the Examon with a Slayer Jamon out or Slayer Jamon underneath Examon as a source. And the deck's big weakness does come from just wide fields. Like if you already have an established wide field then it's very hard for Examon to really stop all of the damage and all of the aggression. Uh, obviously, it depends on how wide the field and what your field is in terms of like the effectiveness of it, but it, it does struggle with dealing with just a ginormous field, but it does do very well against these uh, single-stack decks or even just the more mid-rangey, where it's just like, okay, I'll occasionally just hard play Digimon to search while building up my Digimon raising, then pseudo build up a second stack. Like it still does very well against those types of decks as well. So it with uh, obviously out the inclusion of cross hearts and Alphamon, um, it's definitely going to be a real contender in the format, just because a lot of what's left are either these a go wide decks or B um, go tall decks uh, that were left over from BT nine. Uh, it seems like, um, BT10 was more go-wide focused, BT9 was more go-tall focused, and Examon is just a really good introductory to this rock-paper-scissors type of meta environment that we uh, expect to be entering. But as far as another huge deck to look out for in terms of brand new decks coming out from EX3 is going to be uh, Link Dragons, Hina Link Dragons, uh, however you want to call it, um, but um, the... Uh, Metallic Dramon is actually a pretty relevant and pretty powerful card. Hina just lets you use your uh, on-play abilities basically as when digivolving abilities. Uh, so she is probably the most important card into the deck outside of that. And then you get like really disruptive effects like Metallic Dramon to stop the opponent from literally digivolving, um, which is just pretty disruptive. Yeah. So... There are technically two variations of this deck, um, though I think the more accurate description would be some cross between the two, because 
Um, unlike Black War Greymon, where they are fairly well known as either red base or black base, um, you use a mix, mixed base, um, within this deck lineup only because whether you're using the metallic Dramon line itself, the 345, or you're using the volcanic Dramon line, 345, um, they all count. Off of red and black. They all they're all both red and black. Uh, it kind of I guess it really comes well, down to Well, in terms to, of evolution. It comes down to what you're using as your egg pretty much exclusively, but you, like you know, or introducing yeah, like some one or two amount cards. of other yeah, other cards. Um but realistically, you're just you're running like the Link Dragon deck and um the Hina Dragon deck, and uh, it, it's as Anita mentioned, you're just kind of gaining value from turning on play abilities into when uh, digivolving abilities. Uh, on top of still having the on play abilities if you really need them. Or, yeah, for whatever reason you want to slam something, you may. Um, and just, it introduces just other ways for you to control your opponent's board. Um, and in ways that other cards necessarily haven't, just small changes in sub in in texts uh, really do change the scope of a card. So the EX3 Volcanic Dramon uh, on play, delete all of your opponent's Digimon with the lowest DP. That's pretty. I mean, that's that's just your generic seven or eight cost option card, but it's an yeah. on Digivolve now for four. Um, if no Digimon are deleted by this effect, your opponent cannot play Digimon with a DP of 5,000 or less until the end of your opponent's turn. And that doesn't mean, like, this isn't by card effect. This isn't um, the six cost, like, Phoenix Flare option card. This is just, you cannot hard play Digimon. Yep, and against a lot of go wide decks, which were introduced in um, BT10. Uh, that that's not kind by effect. You can't just yeah. pay memory for it. You just you can't do it. You can't do it for yep. free. <laughs> and a lot of the effects, like in Bloom Lord and in Commandramon, um, Commandramon, and against uh, Jessmon, they all just all of the range in which they're playing Digimon for free is usually level four or below, which means it's usually going to be five thousand DP or less. Yep. Uh, and then, as I explained with Metallic Dramon. Uh, on play, D-Digivolve 1, all of the opponent's Digimon, uh, D-Digivolve 1 on all of the opponent's Digimon, then delete one of the opponent's Digimon with a play cost of 5 or less. If no Digimon was deleted by this card effect, all of your opponent's uh, unsuspended Digimon can't Digivolve until the end of the opponent's turn. So this does include Digimon coming out of Raising. It does include any Digimon Digivolving off of Tamers. It's a fog so effect. It, Yep, it is just a very disruptive ability to just stop the opponent from doing specific actions, and um, this it's just a solid ability to just turn off uh, the opponent's actual ability to play their deck, and that's the true potential of the uh, Link Dragons, Hina deck, whatever you want to call it, is off of those two cards and the ability to repeatedly use those cards. Now... We op we operate in a different world here because uh, the the Hina Link Dragons deck, while relevant, at least enough for us to mention it, unlike some archetypes that will not be named within this format, um, 
and we still it, we don't know whether it's going to necessarily get better or worse with the with the removal of cross hearts and maybe the increased rise of uh where Gururuman and Grandis and Examon even gets a little better you know Just as these other good. decks Jessmon as these other decks that aren't the ones that got restricted get slightly better by comparison where does that leave this this deck cuz this deck was you know a fringe playable deck it was maybe a low 1.5 probably more like a, a like a tier 2 deck to where i'd be surprised if it topped a format like oh look like this topped something but it would be like noteworthy in that instance and then maybe you know forgotten again um we'll see if that if this changes anything um because the deck still, still does have some inherent problems with it it is very reliant upon hina which is a three cost tamer and you can delete two of them with Gaiamon or with black or Greymon. so that's a weakness a very exploitable weakness yep um but as far as um some decks that got better slash worse that were already existing in the uh, in the game. Uh, the most notable one, obviously, is going to be Bloomlord. Uh, he gets a couple of new tools, but the most prominent one is going to be with Hydramon. Um, and yeah, he it's just the control card the deck was wanting on top of being on brand and on theme with what the deck is trying to do. So uh, if anyone's unfamiliar with what um, Bloomlord is trying to do, it's just trying to, like, Digivolve up its chain, spam bodies out for free, have lots of suspended Digimon and gain benefits for your Megas, um, for them being suspended. You're not necessarily trying to aggress with those cards. You could if you want to later, but most of the time they're just engine pieces to let your Megas do all of the work for you. And Hydromon is fitting exactly on brand by being able to basically just punish the opponent not only um, for having Digimon on the field because he could start tucking them, uh, but he also punishes them for suspending, which is just them attacking or doing some of their other actions. And he's just a very uh, powerful defensive tool for that deck to use. So, yeah, basically, Blue Lord didn't exist without Hydramon. People tried to make it work in BT10. Um, not necessarily here, it was, you know, three weeks, but uh, in Japan, it was a powerful archetype in that it had some working pieces, but it was just kind of running with half of its pieces, not as aligned with its ideal uh, mechanics, and now it picks up the other half of that deck, basically. This is, you know, it in its true form. Hydramon is almost just decidedly designed to be run in exactly this deck, in exactly the Bloom Hydra deck. Um, they kind of share the, the limelight there. Um, honestly, probably the third most important card in the deck outside of Bloom Lord or Hydramon is Pomamon, <laughs> the new Heck rookie. Yeah. The new rookie, Pomamon just because for life. Uh, it's it's an option card on a stick and when has that ever not been good uh it just yeah so your turn when in effect suspends this digimon suspend an opponent's digimon but if you've ever played a green deck uh, or played into a green deck then you know that they want to suspend their own things to gain value so 
I'm suspending your thing for suspending my thing, but I want to suspend my thing. You don't want me to suspend your thing. Yep. Uh, and the deck is going to get continued support in future sets as well. Um, not to get too deep into those. So um, that will attract more players to want to continue to be on the deck if they haven't already picked up the deck. Or pick up the deck now just because Hydromon is going to be a thing. So um, I'm... I don't know where you land on this. I know you haven't done your EX3 tier list or anything, but in Japan, there was actually a small period of time where people thought that Bloom Hydra was actually going to knock Crosshearts off its throne because of how it was absolutely like, disgustingly dominant in BT10. And when EX3 came out in Japan, it was almost all Blue Blood Hydra. It actually just completely eclipsed Crosshearts for the first four, five, maybe six weeks. And then after BT11 started to get spoiled and they saw that Crosshearts was getting continued support, everyone switched back to their Crosshearts decks that they apparently had shelved for some reason and stopped playing, and then just started absolutely demolishing the Bloom Hydra players. But without Crosshearts to make that comeback and you know to actually just destroy the Bloom Hydra deck, there was a very real possibility that Blue Hydra is the best deck in the format right now. Um, Japanese data, uh, while it's important to keep in mind, I don't think it's the most accurate representation on what we should go by. Um, from what I've looked at, just looking at the past couple of like sets in Japan data uh, sets, usually there's like literally one deck that's going to be 20% of the meta by itself. Um and the rest are basically going to fight for the scraps. Um, and maybe without Crosshearts, that might be a thing with Bloom Hydra, but I think uh, based on the differences on how we play, uh, it also has the chance where it, it might not be. And counterplay might start emerging, and uh, going back to the Rock, Paper, Scissors-esque, uh, it is just one of the better Flood style decks, so maybe something uh, like Eximon can just stop it um or uh put it in its place um if the hardcore control type decks just can't really deal with those white boards hmm. i don't know i mean i i haven't played the matchup yet myself um i'm very interested in Nexamon, and i've you know been practicing that more or less exclusively since i had stopped practicing bt10 and I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm saying that, obviously, I understand the Japanese data isn't as useful. Um, I'd, I'd be the first to tell anyone, especially on Reddit, that Japanese data is very misleading at best, honestly, because... I like to use the word polarizing. Because they use best of one, and it's entirely local level data, so a, a data point does not tell you anything other than what won that local... And that's it. It doesn't tell you what they played. It doesn't say how many people were at that local. It doesn't say even how many like other decks were at that local. It's it's just so not good data. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It's just so bad as far as... Cause we, we could take all of the Japanese data and just compare it to a single BT whatever event you know, online, 512 people, best of three, eight rounds, 
and that it just it's sewn in a vacuum is better data than the entirety of a format from Japan. It's honestly more games played than an entire uh, format of Japan. Uh, 512 people, 512 people, nine rounds. Obviously, not everyone plays that. Most people drop after like three, four rounds. But uh, best of three, that's that genuinely might be more games, individual games played on that one day than you know the entire format of Japan. Uh, hard to say. Probably. Um, I'm I'm but... not doing any math in my head. I'm just guessing here, but it feels like it. That's a lot. Y yeah. But as far as um, Bloom Lord's overall threat level, I definitely would position it as very high. Um, Each deck at least this... definitely has to take it into account. And specifically, so without without Crosshearts being the big bad boogeyman of the format, um, as it was proposed to be, or predisposition to be, I guess, um, then decks can afford to uh, at least consider deck space for different matchups now, as opposed to just dialing everything in to be cross arcs, otherwise you probably don't beat cross arts. And now Bloom Hydra is a strong contender for a tech slot. Something to help you in the Bloom Hydra matchup specifically, which honestly it might still just be Dexmon. Uh it could be. Um hard to say exactly. Um we need to like Obviously, we have a lot of time with this format to to see what is the better alternative text. Because if like Bloom Hydra does become this dominant force, uh, how good is Dexmon into that, and how good are some of the other options into that? Um, on top of that, uh, there's still just other decks in the format too that we need to be worried and concerned about. Not really like, oh my god, this is going to be so bad, but like, oh. This is just a thing that we need to keep on our radar, and one of the last big winners of the um, EX3 set is going to be Deeper Gates. It is the deck mm -hmm. that has been played since BT4, and uh, it really started coming into itself in BT5 with another Commandramon to like round out its Commandramon package, and then the deck literally just has not gone away since then. It's kind of been like here and there in terms of overall success, depending on where the format was. Like in BT7, it just kind of wasn't existing just because it lost pretty hard to blue and yellow hybrids. Uh, but it started coming back in like BT8, BT9, just because the meta actually allowed for it to exist. And now that it's getting even more tools, um, it's definitely going to be a stronger deck. And uh, I know more specifically in North America, um, we love D-Brigades for whatever reason. We I mean, love that deck. It is the state-sponsored Rookie Rush. People playing Rookie Rush back when it was playing the game outside of the proposed how you're supposed to play the game, uh, and people like making a deck that is strong that isn't how you're supposed to play the game, especially in North America at least. That's why we're so fond of Rookie security Russian Security Control. control. But, yep. um, so it's it's the most truest incarnation of Rookie Rush that is at least archetype supported Rookie Rush because, um, that isn't Crosshearts. Obviously Crosshearts kind of occupied that niche a little bit because you were really just Rookie Rush, but you could run four different colors and when your rookies died they didn't really die and you could just you know make a big body that wins you the game 
but Commandermon slash D-Brigade is kind of the same thing, where you just fill your deck with a bunch of Commandermons that try to either you, you play them cheaply from your hand, you just kind of play a couple, you know, two or three Commandermons a turn from your hand, and then, you know, hopefully when they die, they replace themselves with the on-delete effect, and, but now, like, the, the new package, I mean, just kind of, um, because it doesn't add too, too much as far as new concepts are concerned, um, it just adds an actual top end to the deck that the deck didn't really utilize before, because its top end was garbage outside of specifically Dark Jamon, which you hard played anyway. Now, um, you can Digivolve into Seals Jamon, giving you jamming, and a fairly powerful inheritable of when you play another Digimon with D-Brigade once per turn, uh, that Digimon gains Rush. So you can basically Digivolve over a Commandermon in security, or in Raising, I know Blasphemy, uh, Raise, Swing with Jamming, Digivolve into the new Tank Jermon, who says when Digivolving, reveal the top three cards of your deck, play a Digimon with D-Brigade with a cost of five or less. Uh, from them without uh, paying their cost and then trash the remaining. Uh, fills your trash, gets you a body that the Sealsdramon gives Rush, swing with that body, and then you can now Digivolve into the new Dark Dramon. You don't want to hard play this one, you want to Digivolve into it, uh, which lets you return D-Brigades from your trash to the top of your deck to reduce its Digivolve cost you know, up to zero, basically. You know, one per each card returned this way. So you can stack the top of your deck with more Commandermons, make the Dark Demon, you know, zero, and unsuspend it, swing again. It's, it is the actual, probably most truly aggressive archetype, where Garumon is aggressive, but it's still a single stack aggressive. This is a wide board aggressive that also happens to have a chance to make a stack if they want to now. Yep, and as far as the new Commandermon, he's kind of just boring. Uh, he is uh, Decoy, uh, D-Brigades, which is something we haven't really seen before. Archetype but he's just more Commandermon, yeah. so that he's helps. He's just another Commandermon, and he's trying to protect your higher stages from being deleted. That's all he's trying to do. I think that Decoy on the lower stages is way better than Decoy on the higher stages, mm. um, just because lower investment, higher output um, in terms of usability. Um but yeah, you're just basically doing the same thing you were doing, just you actually have an evolution line you want to play, and uh, that's a huge plus for the deck. But as far as a minus to that deck, um, now that you have these new tools, they're eating up at the slots that you previously used for really powerful removal option. So the trade-off is you have higher highs in terms of how you can use your Digimon, but now your security is going to be a little bit weaker than it used to be. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, we'll see exactly how the D-Brigade lists develop, because what we may find is that, um, basically just what we found last time is that it's not necessarily worth running these new higher stage D-Brigades for whatever value they may have at that stage, and you're just better off running, you know, a memory boost or a tamer or... A kill card in its place and you might see them just running the new commander mon and maybe a couple seals german maybe you know a couple tank german two to three just for the ability to digivolve over the seals german to give something rush 
Um, and then not running any of the new Dark Jermon, just running the old Dark Jermon, because you can always just on pl hard play it for three, and it has Rush. So, like, like there's we'll just see. a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of interesting approaches that D Brigades now has access to uh, think about utilizing. And the fact that it was already one of the more powerful and prominent decks of some previous formats, and it's a fan favorite deck, um, it's just going to be a deck that should be on people's radars. Um, um, also, the new egg, I, I you know, didn't even mention that because oh, it's at the top of the list. Yeah, yeah all D Brigades just get reboot now um that's very relevant for anything d brigade wants to do just because it gives you know one of the easiest ways to deal with rookie rush was to just play play the hard board control game and if you can stabilize the board you win the game um but if you can't attack into at least not maybe obviously they're going to hard play a, a bunch of command drum on anyway but the command drum that they do happen to raise that one will just reboot and you know, maybe that's the one that you turn into a bigger body so that they can't just get rid of it by swinging over it passively. Yeah, like the intended line of play is obviously to be centered around the new Sealstromon because he has jamming. So it's just like swing with jamming with reboot underneath, Digivolve into Tankdramon, and then going into the opponent's turn. Oh, he stands up. Now you can't attack into him. That was free and safe to do. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with Darkdramon. It's like if you go Tankdramon, Darkdramon, he also should have reboot. Uh, and then, oh, that was just literally free, no consequences at all. Uh, even at worst, like, if you just be aggressive with your uh, blocker, Commandramon, and he just magically somehow lives through an attack, oh, reboot. <laughs> like, it's it's just such a good inheritable ability for D-Brigades as a whole, even though you don't get the DP buff to make your Digimon live uh, a little bit better, you just don't care. Mm. So, yeah. uh, but as far as yeah, as far as like some other noteworthy decks, um, I do think Gallantmon actually is probably a sleeper deck. Um, the new uh, War Growlmon is kind of good at just helping set up his field to be whatever it needs it to be. Um, people were going mixed on the Growlmons. Some people really like it. Some people really don't. Um, but like the deck isn't getting that much better. Uh, outside of the War Growlmon, that's easily the best card. Uh, but the fact that like Gallantmon is still just a very accessible deck uh, for a lot of people to get into, and this is just another wave of support, uh, makes it really desirable. Um, even though it might not be like Tier 1. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the same sentiment with Machine Dramon. It gets a lot of new support, but it's a very complicated deck to build and play. Um, so that might just be a big deterrent on its overall success, but it's still a deck that's going to be a thing. Um, and then the last one that probably is worth mentioning is Aegisdramon. Um, Aegisdramon is pretty interesting. Source splitting, again, whiteboards, that seems to be the thing. And it's just one of the better ones that actually could utilize... You mentioned Aegisdramon before you mentioned Imperial Dramon. At least he gets a secret rare, come on. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so, the problem with Imperial Jamon, and this is kind of really, also why I just want to know I'm your not, line of thinking. It, it's it's too much setup. Too much setup for uh, like the highs are really freaking high. Yes, uh, but the setups are so hard that it's just not worth it. Like, not only do you need to see the pieces in your hand and in your trash and on the field, 
but they all need to line up perfectly for this grand storm of not even killing the opponent. <laughs> so I'm just like, okay, like it's cute to just do all these digivolutions on the opponent's turn. It's just not good. I, like, I honestly like my, my favorite like part about this deck is that I remember when it was getting spoiled, and I was like, are they crazy? This deck is nuts. Just looking at the effects. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you basically just take two Digimon and you just like Jogress, Jogress, Jogress. And well, I just, you know, I made a level six. (laughs) Yeah, like it can make a level six out of nowhere. And then it could just sit on that level six and basically just wait um, for the opponent to delete it or delete it yourself and then just do the whole thing all over again. Um, because his undeleted ability lets you play the Wormon and the Vmon, and then you just digivolve into one of the new level fours, and then you just basically go all the way up again, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. But again, the problem with a lot of purple decks and why we trash on purple so much is the amount of setup required in order for them to be good. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just it it's needs too to much. see like it's every every card names a very specific other card. So, while this deck is, like, you know, Exodia slot machine, it's Exodia if you need, like, the left elbow and the right elbow and the right pinky toe and the left pinky toe. Like, you need a lot of... You need one of everything. You literally just need one of everything, and it needs to be where it's supposed to be. If you have the wrong card in your hand that's supposed to be in your trash or something's in your trash that's supposed to be in your hand, like, you just don't, you just don't get it and you lose. And especially with the limitation now placed on um, Calling of the Darkness, it's it's even harder for the deck to function. Like, you could just run a card to help set yourself up, but, like, Calling from the Darkness just did a lot for that deck in order to uh, make getting things where they're supposed to be easier. So, Um, we're kind of in this format for the long haul. Um, I say that, you know, as, uh, we're, we're EX3 with restrictions until BT11 or potentially Nats, whichever comes first. Um, what's your, uh, like, give me, give me your, like, most likely to be, like, the most competitive, broadly competitive deck, and then give me the deck that you, you can see being better than we thought it was going to be given the restrictions and given the North American competitive environment. So I think that um, Metal Garurumon, uh, th- there is some bias in this. Uh, I think Metal Garurumon is still going to be, be one of... Yeah, Metal Garurumon is still going to be one of the best decks to take into EX3. Uh, it's still fast, it's still strong, it still has lots of removal against wide boards, it just... It's just so clean of a deck to use, while also being simple, effective at what it's trying to do. Um, now, there are some harder matchups um, against it, but it also has better matchups against some of these other newer decks as well. Um, as we've seen with some of its uh, limited BT10 success, it is one of the more successful decks in our BT10 format, going to continue into EX3. Uh, as far as the deck that I think is going to perform better than what we expect, um, I'm kind of sitting there at Eximon. Uh I think Eximon, at least according to Japan, didn't have that much hype and that much success. But I think like just the sheer uniqueness of its package 
being mostly self-contained with a couple of cards here and there, make it a very easy deck to want to build outside of the fact that you needed Secret Rare. Um, and it's still just a very, again, another clean deck at what it's trying to do, and it's just unique at not only having good protection against a lot of other deletion-based abilities, um, it is playing into the strengths of DNA, allowing you to DNA on your fours and sixes, so you do have flexibility getting up into Eximon as quickly as you possibly can. It can help kind of flood the field by just free playing a level six. Like there's just a lot of things going right for the deck, and especially with the hit to cross hearts, make it a more appealing deck to actually want to play. And I think that appeal and possibility just might make it a better deck overall in our format. So answer my own question. I don't disagree with you about metal, metal Garumon being because I think it's the I think it's the most likely deck. I think it will become maybe not the new boogeyman, but it's something you will genuinely just see a lot of. It's top three easily. You know, potentially the best deck, potentially the second best deck, but very safely top three. Um and but I, I think that blue flares at least operates in a in an environment where it could potentially be positioned to do better only because it has some of the same setup that a more long-term strategy deck would be based upon something like an Examon or a Gaiomon or uh, anything that just isn't as aggro of a deck and it takes advantage of the wider boards that previously couldn't really operate because they had to just deal with cross arts being cross arts and um so i think something like a blue flares is now going to take advantage of its uh increased variety of its matchups i think it does very well into bloom lord i think it does very well into um Examon. i think it does very well into uh Jespon into d brigades i mean like we've already, these are all going over the decks we consider to be competitive and these are all positive matchups obviously metal garurumon would probably be one of its worst matchups but even then it has things it can do it's it it's not the end of the world it has some amount of setup it can do to at least you know it runs enough options and, and defensive cards that it isn't super safe for them to swing into security um and their ability just to maintain their hold on a board and it's one of the few decks um you know, it, it literally picks up one card, but uh, it Sorai is actually, you know, just like with Gabu Bond in entering EX1, how they picked up Ice Wall and they, you know, achieved the new Super Saiyan. Sorai is, is that next Super Saiyan for Blue Flares as far as um, its ability to just blanket your opponent's Digimon that don't have Digivolution sources cannot attack. Period dot. So and it also trashes four, which is pretty good. So I mean that that deals with a lot of tall stacks. So um, I think Blue Flare is probably the best deck as far as um 
you want to walk into EX3 and learn a deck that is going to be competitive, can win events, can top events, and a deck with some staying power, too. I know a lot of people care about that. They don't want to learn a deck. Like, Exabon, it's a flash in the pan. It doesn't really get any better. I mean, it gets a little better. It gets a tiny bit, like, not it's, like an exuberant yeah, amount. It, it gets it's like not a, a whole card. wave. It gets a yeah, card. It's not a whole wave of stuff. Um, so, but but otherwise, like what you see is what you get with Examon. What you see is what you get with some of the cards that have already seen their significant waves. But Blue Flares is just beginning, just like Crossards is just beginning. And the Blue Flares didn't get restricted, so all of the new stuff they get just makes them better. They don't get any worse beforehand. Um, and then the deck that I think is the kind of more of your dark horse, like something that is going to do is um, Deeper Gates, only because it, it was already so popular and so successful, uh, given that it was running basically just a bunch of BT5 cards and then every good black option card they can think of. Um, now they can still do that and be a little bit more consistent in it too. Uh, that's fair. Uh, just a funny thing is our, our, both of our proposed best decks, uh, are both blue. Just want to point Blue's that the out best there. color. Blue has always been blue, the best color. Blue is, blue is such a good color. Ever since they, you know, nuked yellow from orbit, it's the only thing even remotely in competition for best color. Uh, black is getting there. Uh, black just seems like the anti-meta color, like the black color had, that's designed to Black to had do... a singular competitive archetype. As far as, like best deck in the format competitive archetype because because again yes you can count total you know meta share though right now blue's got what three now three competitive decks out of six maybe seven black's blue's got a lot black's got one now minus you know one and a half counting but you know i guess it's less you know it obviously you know color versus archetype thing but technically black or graymon is black technically uh, Blink Dragons is black. Like, do they do black things? Yes. Are they black decks? Kind of. Uh, but Deep Brigades is all black, so decidedly a black deck. So. Yeah, as far as pure, uh... One color. Goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's all the time we have, uh, for this week. Uh, definitely keep, you know, posting your feedback and or comments in the comment section of Zinsu's YouTube videos or popping into his live streams on Twitch. Um, we read most of the comments, not all the comments usually. Um, we're still, you know, clicking away at viewer questions of the week, you know, whenever they come up. And uh, now, I guess, is the most uh, constructive time to leave feedback or ideas as far as, you know, anything you want us to touch upon in the future, because uh, we've just opened a new format, and we're going to be here for a while, so... It's up to us to really figure out what we want to talk about for the next couple months. Yep, outside of the obvious tournament results, because we're getting a lot of tournaments jam-packed at the beginning, uh, slash mid-November, so towards the beginning of the format, and then uh, the real staying power is going to see what events come afterward and where the meta develops. Okay, and with that, I will go ahead and close it out. Goodbye. <laughs>